something you find when you get into Scripture is that God has a high view of Scripture Himself. Now, there's a lot that we could go through to look at that, but I found a few verses that just kind of give a, a picture of the high view of Scripture that God has. Um, Psalm 138, the psalmist says, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy thanksgiving, or for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. And notice this last part. Thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. That's a big thing, right? I mean, God's name is significant. How, how much glory He expects it to get. How He expects people to reverence it. And yet He has elevated, He has magnified His word above even His name. That is significant, a view of the Scripture God has. Proverbs, it says, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in Him. And notice this next part. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and that thou be found a liar. So the proverb writer says that we're not supposed to, to try to think, well, that's not strong enough. We need some more. We need to add a little bit to God's word to, to fix it and to make it better. He said if we do that, we'll find that God rebukes us for that. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes, for this cause, also we thank, uh, we thank, God, or thank we God without ceasing, because when you receive the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually works in you that believe. So when Paul went and he preached the gospel and he preached the stuff to help them be disciples of Jesus, what he says is the people received it not as Paul's word, not as man's word, but as it was indeed, as it truly was, and that is the word of God. So God considers Scripture to be His very words. So much so that later Paul will write this. He therefore that despiseth, and what he's talking about is the teaching. He has taught something in 1 Thessalonians 4, and he says those that despise it, or those that reject it, despiseth not man, but God, who has also given, us, given unto us His Holy Spirit. So God has such a high view of Scripture that what God would say is, if you look at the Word and you say, I hate that, I despise that teaching, I despise the Word of God, that, that is just dumb then that is despising God Himself. We cannot disobey the Word without disobeying God. We cannot reject the Word without rejecting God. And then one final one is in Revelation, probably maybe the most familiar along these lines. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. Now, again, that's pretty significant, right? You look at the Word... And you say, it's not enough, I need to add some more to it, I need to, to make it a little stronger, a little better here. Then what the Bible says is, God says He will, he will add the plagues of Revelation unto your life. Now that's pretty significant, because the plagues in Revelation are all pretty bad, but He goes on. And if any man shall take away from the words of, this book, words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away His part out of the book of life, and out of the holy city, and from the things that are written. In this book. So here we go beyond God's going to reprove us if we take out of His Word. But here, if we go to it and we say, well, that's not good. I'm going to pull that out or this isn't that. I'm going to jerk that out of the way. That we find that God is actually going to remove our name. Take away our part from the book of life. Right? And essentially what He's saying is when we reject the Word, we're rejecting God. We're rejecting salvation itself. Because we'll have no part of the book of life, no part of the holy city, no part 
of the things that are written therein. That's all very significant. God's view of Scripture is very, very high. And there are many more passages that we could look look at that show God's high view of Scripture. Now, despite God's high view of Scripture, there have always been those who would twist Scripture for their own benefit. Now, while this has always been common, it has always been in existence, it is disturbingly common in our day. And I was thinking about that this week, about why do I think, why do I think, and this is it's just my opinion largely, it is so common. And I think, interestingly enough, one of the great blessings of God is what has made false prophets and false teachers so common. In our day, we have something few people in generations prior to us had. We all have our own copies of the Bible. We have written copies, probably multiple. We have electronic copies. We have the Bible at our fingertips. Now, in times past, there were few copies of Scripture. And so false prophets had to do one of two things to really begin to deceive the masses. One, they had to start coming up with their own dreams and visions. Uh, They had to start saying, well, I think the Lord told me last night because they didn't actually have their own Bible that they could say, well, the Bible says this, but here's what it really means. So they had to start having their own wild visions in an effort to draw crowds. Or they had to kind of make sure that they were leaders in churches, make sure that they were the people up front so they would have access to the word which was rare and they could then begin to twist it and deceive people uh, to accomplish their own ends. But today, today everyone has their own copy of Scripture. Today, everyone kind of has their own idea about what Scripture says, about what God is like. And because of social media, because of blogging, everyone now has a means of getting their message out to the masses. Things go viral on social media each and every day. Some things are funny, some things are serious. But anybody can get their message out if they're willing to put forth just the minimalist amount of effort. And so this has caused it and made it possible for those who who twist Scripture, those who distort the meaning, it has allowed this to increase exponentially in our day. Yet God's view of Scripture has not changed. God still has this high view of, That His Word is perfect just the way it's given. That we're not to add to it. That we're not to take away from it. That we're to receive it as it is, as the very Word of God. That it's pure and that it's right. That we're to embrace it and to follow it. Now all of this matters. Because God has a lot to say for those who would twist Scripture? God has a lot to say about those who would twist Scripture and lead others astray. And we're going to talk about that tonight so that we can kind of guard our hearts against it and to help us be better able to, to recognize and discern it if it's there so that we would not be led astray. Open your Bible to Jeremiah 23. And we're basically going to look at the whole passage tonight. 
Um, in, in my initial reading, we're just going to kind of jump around. So if you'll find Jeremiah 23, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Jeremiah 23, and look at verse 1. It says, Woe be unto the, the pastors. Now, pastor there, some of your translations will say shepherd, but the context of it makes it clear that he's not talking about actual shepherds over sheep. He's referring to spiritual leaders in the church. So, woe be, or in the church and the people of God, woe be unto the, the pastors, the spiritual leaders, that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, saith the Lord. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, against the pastors that feed my sheep, ye have scattered my flock and driven them away, and have not visited them. Behold, I will visit upon you the evil of your doing, saith the Lord. Now jump down to verse 9. Jeremiah says, Mine heart within me is broken, because... Of the prophets, all my bones shake. I'm like a drunken man, and like a man whom wine has overcome because of the Lord and because of the words of his holiness. For the land is full of adulterers, and because of swearing, of curse, the land mourneth, and the pleasant places of the wilderness are dried up, and their course is evil, and their force is not right. For both prophet and priest are profane. Yea, in my house I have found their wickedness, saith the Lord. Wherefore their way shall be unto them as a slippery way. In the darkness they shall be driven on and fall therein. For I will bring evil upon them, even the year of their visitation, saith the Lord. Now I have seen the folly of the prophets of Samaria. They have prophesied in Baal and caused my people to err. I have seen also the prophets of Jerusalem, a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen also the hands of evildoers, that none doth return from his wickedness. They are all of them as unto me Sodom, and as the inhabitants thereof as Gomorrah. Therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets, Behold, I will feed them with wormwood, and I will make them drink the water of gall. For, for from the prophets of Jerusalem is profaneness gone forth into all the land. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, hearken not to the words of the prophets that prophesy unto you. They make you vain. They speak a vision out of their own heart and not out of the mouth of the Lord. They say still unto them that despise me that the Lord hath said, ye shall have peace and they shall every one that walketh after the imagination of his own heart. No evil shall come upon you. For who hath stood in the counsel of the Lord? Who hath perceived and hath heard his word? Who hath marked his word and heard it? Behold, a whirlwind of the Lord has gone forth in fury, even a grievous whirlwind, and it shall fall grievously upon the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord shall not return until he have executed, till he have performed the thoughts of his heart. In the latter days, ye shall consider it perfectly. We'll stop there for now. It gives you a picture of what God's going to say. The title of the message tonight is False Prophets. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We, we want your will to be done. Make us strong in your word. Make us a people with discernment that we would test all things against scripture. And we would let things rise or stand against what you have said. Give us a high view of scripture. Help us, O oh God, to take it seriously. To take it and say that this is the word of God. And Lord, that we would not reject it, but we would embrace it. We would have wisdom. That Lord, if someone begins to teach false things, if they would teach wrong things, we would recognize it and have the courage to stand and say no. That is not right. I'll have no part in it. 
Help us, O God, to love Your Word. Help us to be strong in You and in the power of Your might. Use us for Your glory. Make us a people, Lord, that are filled with the Word, filled with Your Spirit, filled with Your Gospel, propelled out into a lost and a dying world to be lights and salt that bring glory to Your name. We ask all of this in the mighty name of Christ our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. Now this was a part of my daily Bible reading uh, this week and it really stuck with me. God in this passage, has quite a bit to say about false teachers, about false prophets. And we're not going to really go verse by verse, but we're going to kind of look at it thematically. There are three themes uh, of messages that God has about false prophets. The first is the characteristics of false prophets. Uh, It can be difficult to spot a false teacher or a a false prophet. Jesus said... That they would come as wolves in sheep's clothing, indicating they would do all that they could to appear Christian. And despite the fact that they do all that they can to appear Christian, there are some telltale characteristics of false prophets that, that God reveals to us in His Word. Right? The first is that false prophets speak from false authorities. Right? Look at verse 13. And I have seen folly. In the prophets of Samaria, they prophesied in Baal. Right? They prophesied in the name of Baal. Now, the idea that they prophesied in the name of Baal is kind of it's the picture of the authority of their teaching. As they came and as they began to speak a message, uh, if you're familiar with reading through the books of the prophets, you'll know that the prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah, when they proceed a message, they said, Thus saith the word of God. Right? Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel. Right? They, they say, this is the authority behind the message that I'm bringing unto you right now. And so these prophets of Samaria, they came and they said, thus saith Baal. Baal is the Lord over this area and here's what Baal has to say. Right? So they speak out of Baal. Um, but not only do they speak out of Baal, look at what it says in verse 26. I'm sorry, verse 16. Hearken not unto the words of the prophets that prophesy unto you. They make you vain, for they speak a vision of their own heart and not out of the mouth of the Lord. Right. So some prophets that were the false prophets, they came and said, thus saith Baal. Others came and said, "I, I had a vision last night. God gave me a dream. God showed me something. I feel in my heart this is what God has For you. Now look at verse 26. How long shall this. How long shall this be in the heart of the prophets that prophesy lies. Yea they are prophets of the deceit of their own heart. Right. It's deceit that comes from their own heart. So we see that three. Really three areas. That the false prophets got their authority from. Some from another God. Some they got it from their own imagination. Some they got it from their own heart. So as we seek to discern whether a teacher is a real teacher or a false teacher. We need to listen for where the authority from their teaching comes from. Is it, is it from the word of God? Or is it from some other source? There's a, a guy on YouTube, and he's, he's not as popular as he once was, 
But the, the source of his authority, he repeatedly says, he doesn't even carry a Bible when he preaches up there. He has, he has a message to them from an angel. An angel comes to him and tells him what to say every time before he preaches. Now that's, a, that's an authority that's other than God, that's other than God's Word. But that should be something that, that sets off alarm bells, warning, warning, danger. Right now in our day, there are, I would say, two common false authorities. The, the ones that say from angels and things like that are probably more rare, but there are two that are very common by the false prophets and the false teachers of our day. And one is like, and it's just kind of what we see here from, from personal dreams, from visions, or revelations. Now, some false prophets in our day, they focus on their own personal visions, their own personal dreams, and their own personal revelations that God has given to them. Now, what they reveal, what they say God told them in the night, or what vision God had given them, it may totally contradict Scripture. And if you bring that to their attention, well, you're saying this, but the Bible says their response will often be, well, I don't know what to tell you. This is what the Lord told me. And there are a lot of examples of that in our day all throughout the church world today. And in a lot of ways, this is kind of a subtle thing. Because they're not saying, Baal told me. They're not saying, I was talking to the devil last night, here's the message he has. This is from the Lord. This is God's word for you people today. He, he told me this thing for you. This is for you. And, and it will sound often good in a lot of ways. But what it is. It is something that is elevating their dreams and their visions and their personal revelations above Scripture. Because if Scripture and their dreams are in, in contradiction to one another... Without fail, the false prophets will go with their dreams, their visions, and their revelations. So what's the authority? Is it a vision? Is it a dream? Is it something God spoke to them in the night? Or is it, thus saith the word of God? Another common false um, authority in our day is, is personal feelings, our heart, or our natural mind. Other false prophets in our day will use their feelings their heart, or their natural mind to cast doubts on the reliability of Scripture. Now, again, it will often be a very subtle thing. And in some ways, it will make sense to our, our natural mind. They'll say something like, well, I just can't see a loving God. And then they'll begin to list a sin that a loving God wouldn't care about. Or they list something that a loving God wouldn't do. That scripture says a loving God certainly would do. Um, I, I read an article last week by a guy. And, and he's a guy I've read in the past. I had, I, and I've just not just read a few things here or there. But he, he doesn't believe in hell. And I was reading about why he no longer believes in hell. And the reason he doesn't believe in hell is he read a book by a guy. And the guy was not a Christian, but he was a good man who did kind things and was generous and good moral character. And, and as he thought about that man, he just couldn't imagine that, that God would send that guy to hell just for not believing in Jesus, despite the fact he was a good, kind man. 
And so then he went back to Scripture with this idea that what he had always believed about hell could not possibly be true. And he began to find reasons why what Scripture said couldn't be what Scripture meant. And he lays it out in a very solid kind of... Now, does that make sense in light of a God of love? If you love somebody, would you do that to them? Just because they didn't do this one little thing there? Is that how is that how you would do as a loving dad, as a loving parent? Why, no. Of course you would. Then surely... The God of the universe who would do what is right would not do that as well. But make no mistake. People who do that are false prophets. And they are elevating their, their feelings. Their, their heart. I believe in my heart. Or their natural mind above Scripture. And in doing so, they reject the authority of Scripture. They're not saying, thus saith the word of God. They're saying, thus says my feelings. Thus says my heart of hearts. Thus says my natural, rational mind. So false prophets speak from false authorities. But false prophets also lead people astray. Look at verse 13. It said, I have seen folly in the prophets of Samaria. They prophesied in Baal. And caused my people, Israel, to err. Now we'll see this kind of idea over and over again throughout the the lesson tonight. But they caused them to err. They are led astray from the Lord. Uh, And again, we'll talk about this more in a minute. But this is potentially one of the most important points to get. False prophets do not just give people another way to think about an issue. They actively lead people away from God. They actively lead people away from Jesus. They actively lead people away from salvation. Right? Jude, in Jude 1 and 13, Jude refers to false teachers as wandering stars. Now imagine that you're a sailor out on the sea and you're using stars to navigate. Right? There's no GPS, there's no compass, you just have the stars to go off of. And your star goes from here to there and back again. Right? A wandering star was kind of something that would lead sailors astray and cause them to be lost and often to their death. False prophets lead people off the narrow way to life and onto the broad path that leads to destruction. A false prophet will take a lost person and make them loster. Right? Because those who believe and follow false prophets are eventually are deceived and they are eventually destroyed if they do not turn back to God. And those who are deceived by false prophets are difficult to reach. Because they're not just lost, they're deceived, they're convinced they are right. They are convinced that this is the way of God that they have been taught. False prophets lead people always away from the truth, away from God. So false prophets speak from false authorities. False prophets lead people astray. False prophets live sinful lives. Now look at verse 14. I have seen also the prophets of Jerusalem, a horrible thing. They commit adultery and they walk in lies. They commit adultery and they walk in lies. So they... 
They live immoral lives and they walk in ways that are simply not true. Now, I don't know that I can 100% approve this, but, but I'm confident, fairly confident, that the adultery of the false prophets was open. This wasn't people who tried to live for God and had fallen off the path of righteousness into sin, leading a sinful, a secret life. And when it was exposed, they repented of their sin and they turned to God for forgiveness. Right? This isn't David with Bathsheba. When he was reproved, he cried out, Oh God, have mercy on me. Rather, what they were doing is they were flaunting their adultery. They were flaunting their iniquity. They lived in this sin and they told people, God is okay with the sin that I am living in. Right? They were open about their sin and they just sort of flaunted. This is the way God is now. God is okay with it. You guys just don't understand the new thing that God is doing in our midst. And when you look in Scripture, you find that one of the warnings about false prophets, one of the characteristics of them is they do not live holy lives. Uh, this is seen, again, from Old all the way to New Testament. You go all through the Old Testament, all through the New, and references to false prophets almost always teach us that they do not live holy lives. They live sinful lives. And there are two particular sins, or groups of sins, that they are most given to. Right? One is some sort of sexual sin, like this, with adultery. They flaunt it, they're open about it, they begin to say, no, what you've always understood about this isn't accurate. Um, there's a guy, and he used to be a Southern Baptist pastor. I read a, a blog by him a few years ago, and he, he is what you call polyamorous. I had to look that up because I didn't know what it meant. It meant he loves more than one woman at a time. His wife also was polyamorous. In other words, they had an open marriage. They could kind of sleep with whoever they wanted to. God was a polyamorous God, he said. God was okay with his sexual sin. God was okay with his wife's sexual sin because it really wasn't sin anyway. We had just always misunderstood about what Hebrew said about the marriage bed being holy and adulterers and whoremongers God would judge. No, no, it didn't mean what you've always been taught. It meant something vastly different. He became a false teacher to justify his sin. And you find that. False teachers are often sexually immoral in one way or another. They flaunt it. God is okay with it. The other sin that is most often seen and warned about in Scripture with false prophets is covetousness. They go into ministry, so to speak, not to glorify God, not to help people, not to advance the kingdom, but for what they can get out of it. Their ministries are marked probably by lavishness, by a, a great opulence of wealth and the display of look at what God has done and God wants everybody to be like this. Right? In our day they flaunt their jets and their 43 cars and their giant sized houses. And all and all and all they go on and they, they explain God wants us to live this way. Our living in this sort of Wealth and opulence demonstrates how much He loves us. And they are making merchandise of people who send in their money hoping to one day be as rich and live in as much wealth as they do. Covetousness 
is the other sin that we are most often warned about. Now those aren't the other, the only two. But they are the most common in Scripture and really the most common that we would see in our day. Many people, for many, the motivation for being a false prophet is to find a way to make a living and living in a sinful life and make it not only acceptable but to seem righteous. This simply cannot be done. So false prophets speak from false authorities. False prophets lead people astray. False prophets live sinful lives. False prophets strengthen people in sin. Look, he goes on in verse 14. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen also the hands of evildoers, that none doth return from his wickedness. They are all of them unto me of Sodom, and as the inhabitants thereof as Gomorrah. But they strengthen the hand of evildoers, so they do not repent of their sin. And they don't turn to God. This is a picture of, is that they tell them their sin's okay. A false prophet will affirm someone living in sin. A false prophet will tell someone living in a lifestyle clearly contrary to Scripture or who believes something clearly contrary to Scripture, no, no, you're okay. You're okay. God is kind of happy with you just like you are. And that's one of the biggest ways we can tell false teachers and false prophets in our day. They tell people their sin is okay with God. And so there's, there's no need to repent. There's no need to turn away from it. There's no need to live a holy life because, and they would frame it in other ways. They might say something like, there's no need to turn from it because God loves you just the way you are. Or they might frame it, God made you and God doesn't make mistakes. Or they might try to sound a a little more scholarly and say, well, I know that's what the Bible says. But if you look at the the Greek or the Hebrew word in the context of the day, what it really means is, or they might say, well, God just wants you to be happy. If you can't see how you could be happy without living like this, then God just wants you to do it. Or they might say, well, God is love. And so love could never, ever possibly be wrong. But whatever path they take, the result is always the same. They strengthen people in their sin. They encourage them in their sin. They tell them there is peace, peace in that sin when there is no peace. If Scripture calls it a sin, it is a sin. And anyone who says anything differently is a false prophet strengthening someone in their sin. So false prophets speak from false authorities, lead people astray, live sinful lives, strengthen people in their sin. False prophets give a false hope. Verse 16, again, he he talks about um, they don't return from their sin. Now, notice what he goes on to say. I'm sorry, let me skip back up there in verse in the wrong verse. Verse 16, hearken not unto the words of the prophets that prophesy unto you. He says, they make you vain. 
They make you vain. Now vain in the King James has more to do with being the idea of being worthless than being prideful. So those who listen and embrace the message of false prophets, they are essentially worthless for kingdom purposes. Now that's a strong statement. By listening and embracing, that's what he says, hearken not, listen not to these false prophets because they make you worthless. It's a strong statement. Why do they make you worthless? Verse 17, they say still to them that despise me. The Lord has said, you have peace. And they say unto everyone that walketh after the imagination of his own heart, no evil shall come upon you. Now this verse gives us two reasons why really strengthening someone or affirming someone in their sin is so bad. And in doing so, it reveals why it makes someone worthless for kingdom purposes. First, we're told that those who are being strengthened by the false prophets, they despise God. Look at what he says. They say, still unto them that despise me. Again, that's a strong statement from God. Few people in our day, uh, even those living in sin, would say they despise God. And yet, when we look at Scripture, what did, I mean, even what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 4. They that despiseth this teaching, what do they despise? Not the person that brought it, but, but me, saith the Lord. Now, so a person who, who rejects and flaunts God's standards of holiness and righteousness, who flaunts God's sexuality and God's way of life, they've decided that their way is right. They've decided that, that no one will rule over them. No one, not God, not anyone. And in doing so, they are declaring something about their view of God. They are declaring they despise Him. They are saying that yes, you may think that God is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, but He will not rule over me. It is, according to Scripture, it is an act of aggression. Colossians says that by doing that, we, are, we make ourselves the enemies of God with our evil thoughts and our evil desires. It is not only an act of aggression, it is an act of treason. Because God is the righteous King who has the right to set the standards. And we're saying, you'll not rule over me. To strengthen someone in their sin is to encourage those who despise God to continue to despise God. It is saying, you hate God, that's fine. God loves you anyway. There's peace in your future from God. Second, to strengthen them in their sin, it is to give them a false hope. The false prophets tell them there will be peace and there will not be evil in their future. And this simply is not true. This is a false hope. Just as those being strengthened in Jeremiah's day found that God was true and the prophets were a liar, judgment came. Nebuchadnezzar brought his army. He destroyed the walls. He leveled the the temple. He took the people captive. Many died. God was true. And every man a liar. Those in our day that are strengthened in their sin, they will find on the day of judgment that God is true. And every man a liar. And they will be cast away from Christ and away from salvation and into hell for all of eternity. Those who believe the false message of the false prophets, 
They aren't genuinely converted to Christ. They aren't genuinely saved. Lots of places in the New Testament show that we don't have time tonight to to go there. Now, the idea in our day, as long as you believe something, if you believe it for real in your heart, you're good to go. That's not the reality. Faith in and of itself has no value if it's not faith in the right object. Faith that's not in God, that's not in Christ, it is not it does not bring salvation. It does not help no matter how sincerely anyone believes it. No matter how good it might make them feel, no matter how good it might make them act. That's why false doctrine is so dangerous and that's why false prophets must be soundly rejected by believers. So false prophets speak from false authorities, lead people astray, live sinful lives, strengthen people in sin, give false hope. And false prophets steal God's Word. Look at verse 27. He's talking about the false prophets. Because in verse 26 it ends with, They are prophets of deceit of their own heart which think to cause my people to forget my name by their dreams, which they tell every man to his neighbor, as their fathers have forgotten my name for Baal. Right? They try to cause people to forget the name of God, forget God by their dreams. What we should see here is, again, they're elevating their dreams above Scripture. Right? They're, they're going, well, the, the person that's being tried to be deceived, they may say, well, God has said that we shouldn't do this. And the person is saying, oh, no, no. But I had a dream the other night. God spoke to me very clearly. And most clearly as I've ever heard God in my life, He said this. And in doing so, what they're trying to do is they're trying to steal God. They're trying to cut them off from God to steal God's Word out of their lives. Now look at verse 30. Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, saith the Lord, that steal my words, every one from his neighbor. Now it very explicitly says... That they stole God's Word. Now that's a very powerful picture to me. Because God has... when you read the, Again, when you read Scripture, the Word is seen as a treasure. Something to be desired more than honey, even out of a honeycomb. It's something that is sweet to the taste, that revives the heart, that enlightens the eyes. Something that we desire more than fine gold. It is a, a precious treasure given to us. By Almighty God. And here the false prophets, what they're trying to do is steal the Word of God from people. To keep them from that. So that they would never know Him. And they would never know who He is and what He is like. Now there are three primary ways that I think we see this in our day. And we're actually going to stop here. We'll pick the message back up next week. Um, Otherwise we'll be here till 10 or 11 o'clock tonight. Which is fine with me. But I'm sure not everybody likes to do that. Uh, three ways. One is, is really one that you've often seen in the Roman Catholic Church. Historically, the Roman Catholic Church told people not to read Scripture. Prior to the Reformation, the, 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 basically the, the doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church was the average person is just too dumb. To be able to read and interpret scripture for themselves. What they need is they need the priests and the Pope to tell them 
what Scripture has said and what Scripture means. Uh, now, the Roman Catholic Church has eased up on this quite a bit, but it's still kind of a... It's not the official doctrine, it's the unofficial doctrine in many cases. But, in a cult, one of the things you'll find in a, in a cult that claims Christianity is, I, I have all the answers. I'm the guy up front. I have all the answers. And you don't even need a Bible. You can look at it to see, follow along with me, but if what you take from it is different than mine, you are so, so wrong, and I'm so, so right, and that's just always the way it'll be. You God have a special connection to God you, don't, you can't have, you don't possibly know. So I'm going to be the official explainer of all things of Scripture. Your job isn't to study to show yourself approved. Your job is to listen to me, to do what I say, because thus saith the Lord. Always a danger. Always a danger. Now, again, I'm running out of time. I wouldn't preach if I didn't think I was right. right? I don't just get up here. The Bible talks about false prophets being reckless with the word. I'm very conscientious about studying, preparing. I always think I'm right. Now, I don't mean that to sound arrogant, and it may. But I don't ever get up and say, this is what it means, and I haven't studied, I have no concept, no clue. I really think I'm right. But I know I could be wrong. I mean, that's just the reality. I'm a flawed human being, and I could be wrong. Never take what I say as thus saith the Lord. Test it against Scripture. Look and study yourself. If you think I'm wrong, you bring your Bible, not your opinions, not your ideas, not your tradition. You bring your Bible, and we will sit down and we will talk about it. And I will bring my Bible, not my opinions, not my traditions, and not my ideas. And we will either come to the place where I say, you know what, I'm wrong because I've been wrong before. Or we'll come to the place where you say, oh, you know what, I was wrong because you've probably been wrong before. Or we'll come to the place where we'll say, you know, we're just going to have to agree to disagree on this. This isn't uh, Jesus is Lord kind of issue. So, as my dad would say, everybody has a right to be wrong, son, even you. Uh, another way that we see people steal the word is through the people that I have so affectionately called the crazies. Uh, and they say something like, the Bible is fine, but I have a living relationship with God and I receive living words from Him. I receive a fresh word from Him. That's what I need. No, brother, I, I, the Bible is great. I'm glad you like that. But, but my relationship with God is so far beyond a dead book. I, I just need fresh words from God all the time. And that sounds super spiritual. But it's actually heresy. Right? Because what this teaches people is they don't need the Bible. The Bible is okay if you have a dead relationship with God. The Bible is okay if you want to live by rules and regulations. But brother, if you want to know the Spirit, if you want to walk in freedom, you need that fresh Word. You don't need your Bible. And beware of anyone who tells you you don't need your Bible. Because again, once you move into that all I need is a fresh Word mindset, if the fresh Word contradicts Scripture... You say, well, the Bible says, well, I, I'm glad it says that, but brother, that's what God told me, and I, I know it was God. Beware of anyone elevating their ideas, their fresh word above Scripture. If they're telling you you don't need the Bible, 
And they are truly problematic and a false prophet. And then the last one would be the liberal. And these who diminish your confidence in the reliability of Scripture to such an extent, there's no point in actually reading it. Out there today, there are Christian false prophets, Christian called false prophets, and they're not necessarily pastors of churches, though many of them are, but they are like social media influencers. They write books. They're very popular on social media and, and their blogs. And, and all of their blogs kind of have this view, the Bible's wrong. It's wrong on sexuality. It's wrong on hell. It's wrong on the uniqueness of Jesus. It's wrong on heaven. It's wrong on holiness. It's wrong on repentance. It's, it's just wrong. Well, what does that leave us with? I mean, are you going to read a book that's wrong on virtually everything that's significant and eternal and spiritual? I'm not. So nobody else is either. So what they do is they undermine the Bible to the point that those who seek for God and may long for God, they look at the Bible and they say, well... There's nothing there that's going to help me, so maybe I'll read, I'll read this lady's book. Maybe that'll be helpful to me. Maybe I'll read this guy and I'll listen to his podcast. He has what I need, but, but the Bible's not really helpful. And they seem to be the only ones who really know where it's wrong at, so I, I better listen to them because they're going to be the ones to guide me the places that are good the places that are bad. And again, all they're doing is they're, they're undermining, they're cutting out from underneath us the foundation of Scripture. Beware of anyone who seeks to undermine the reliability and the sufficiency and the inspiration and the authority of Scripture. Because you can, you can guarantee without fail a false prophet will seek to separate you from your Bible. Because if they can separate you from your Bible, they can separate you from your God. And your relationship with God. And there are more ways, I'm sure, that they try to steal God's Word. But those are the most common. Beware of anyone who tries to push us away from Scripture. Who tries to take it out of your hands. Who tries to encourage you to do anything but study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman needeth not be ashamed who can rightly divide the Word of truth. Beware of anyone tries to convince us the Bible is a book, not the very words of God. Beware of anyone who says you must have their book or their blog or their insights in addition to Scripture because you just can't understand Scripture without it. Beware. These are the characteristics of a false prophet. And when you see them in someone, whether they're a pastor of a church or just somebody on social media or someone you know, recognize the signs. And reject them. Reject them as a false prophet. Give them no place in your life. Alright, we'll stop here. Uh, if you'll stand, we'll be dismissed in prayer. My mom told me once that my messages were so long because I preach a full message with every point I have. Right, Melissa, would you dismiss us in prayer?